I'm Lawrence Carroll, and welcome to Q Question Tuesday. I'm the author of ETFs for the long run, dividend stocks for dummies, and contributor to Forbes.com and Barron's. Each week on Two Question Tuesday, we randomly pick and answer two questions from clients of Focus Wealth Management. This week's questions will be answered by Phil D'Angelo, Managing Director of Focus Wealth, and Mike Passante, the firm's Director of Financial Planning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Good morning, everybody. Okay, today's first question comes from Scott from New Mexico, and he asks, if interest rates combine with quantitative tightening, how will that affect the markets? So one thing that we all have to be really concerned about right now is the fact that the Fed is pretty much doing everything that they can to combat these really high rates of inflation after really missing the boat on what they called transitory rates of inflation last year. So quantitative tightening is a tool that really hasn't been utilized a lot in the past. Usually the Fed will hike interest rates pretty precipitously. And as we've talked about at length in the past, we've seen there's almost eight rate hikes still priced into the markets. Now, uh, we are really on the record of, about being very uncertain as to whether those rate hikes actually manifest. Now, some of them obviously are, but I'm in the camp that interest rates can't really rise materially from the current level because obviously then you're going to see the government have to pay a lot in terms of interest carry costs to finance its debt. So I'm a, the, a believer that the Fed is going to utilize the balance sheet a lot more than they are in terms of rate hikes to try to combat inflation. And the balance sheet's a little bit of a different tool because by allowing bonds to fall off of its balance sheet and subsequently sell, selling mortgage-backed securities, what the Fed is essentially doing is it's withdrawing liquidity from the underlying economy, right? And looking back at some of the historical time periods in which this has occurred, there's really only one sample set. Um, you had quantitative tightening that actually took place in late 2018. And that was about a seven-month period. And the total return to the S&P 500 in that period was a negative 6.24% uh, decline. So returns haven't been that good in, in that particular time period. Now, if the Fed utilizes quantitative tightening instead of um, rate hikes, and again, most of those rate hikes are already priced into the market with those expectations being eight more hikes, you might not see interest rates materially rise because what ultimately happens is there's a withdrawal of liquidity from the economy. The banks and other global sovereign uh, countries, uh, pension funds, they have to soak up the supply of treasuries that are issued. So you're, you might not see rates rise, but you'll still see a withdrawal of liquidity from the economy because, because if banks have to step up and buy U.S. treasuries, that ultimately will sit on their balance sheet and it will result in probably less loan growth that occurs on the aggregate for the U.S. economy, less loan growth, slowing economic growth throughout the U.S. So by utilizing the balance sheet, the Fed can actually withdraw liquidity without potentially raising rates, even though technically... Um, on the balance that is counted as a rate hike with the withdrawal of liquidity, because I think um, every two months it counts as another 50 basis point rate hike at the rate that they're actually doing quantitative tightening. But what you really have to pay attention for is what market returns have historically been under that time period. Now, the one kicker here would be if inflation did roll over faster than expectations. And you've already seen some inflationary measures really start to roll over. Uh, used car prices, shipping costs from China have actually decelerated rapidly especially over the course of the last month. So you're seeing ticks down in inflation, but you're not necessarily 
seeing it yet in CPI, which really needs to happen. So until that does manifest, you're probably going to see the Fed stay on the more aggressive side. Okay. And um, Phil, do you have anything to say about that or should I go to the next question? No, I, you know, look, we're, as we've said before, we're in a sea change environment right now. And, uh, you know, you're, you're finally withdrawing liquidity uh, from, you know, 12 years, 13 years now of insertion of liquidity. And that's uh, a big change. And the markets are, are, have never been through this, as Michael pointed out, and it's going to take time. Uh, this is going to take time to, to work this one out. And I would expect negative returns in this environment, considering what's going on. Okay. Um, and here's the second question. Money managers have dipped into private equity to boost returns, mostly in technology companies. Last week, it was reported that Fidelity cut the valuations of several closely held tech companies. Reddit's valuation was cut by a third, and Stripe was marked down 13%. Fidelity also cut valuations on TikTok owner ByteDance and Instacart. What does this mean for the tech sector and the private equity market? Yeah, so look, we're having, um, we were late stage private equity. Uh, you know, don't forget, private equity is about having companies uh, that offer wonderful uh, product come to market, seeded investment, the maturing phases, and then selling those investments and doing it over right now. Uh, you could not have gotten more toppy in private equity uh, than you did. Um, I think when when you look at the cycle, if anywhere uh, resembled uh, the late 90s and the dot-com boom, it would totally be private equity. Uh, we deal with large asset managers all the time when they come to their clients, specifically on the fixed income side, and we're touting a breakup of the old 60-40 model is dead. Let's move you know, 10% of your 40% of fixed income to private equity, private projects and whatnot, really run out the door, you know, hide the checkbook and, and don't put money into strategies like that because those are failing strategies, especially when asset valuations globally were so high, right? So, you know, look, when, when you have markets like this and when you have the bad days, you look at correlation and everything's pretty damn close to one on the downside, right? Meaning, you know, whether it's corporate bonds, whether it's equities, whether it was even treasuries at one point, everything was going down in tandem. Don't think that private equity does not go down like that. You know, the secret about private equity has been you've made these investments over time, you put it in a draw, and you don't see the returns uh, that often. Now, with the new mark-to-market you know, rules, uh, you see those valuations on a quarterly basis. And uh, in, in periods of market duress, it's tough. Now, when funding dries up, it even gets worse. So I would not put money in private equity. We have not advised clients to put money in private equity for quite some time. We have taken a very cautious look towards that. Um, you're in a, in a world where asset valuations, uh, they've come down uh, for a while now. But at the end of the year, asset valuations were at all-time highs across the boards, whether it's real estate, private equity, you know, uh, equities, bonds, et cetera. So private equity is directly tied into that. Don't think you're getting any good deals. Um, and uh, I would be very cautious uh, in this period. Don't forget, at the end of this, at the worst point of the cycle, at some point, 
once companies start coming out again, or once there's distressed asset sales, that's when you make your private equity bets. That's when you can put some monies to work. Uh, but I'd be very cautious uh, in those in those areas right now. I mean, and you can even see the companies that were last private and did come public, uh, tons of them, and largest names maybe even being Airbnb and Uber, companies like that. But the hard time that they've had in this environment being a public company. So don't think the private ones are going to be that much better. You're just not looking at it on a daily basis and having that volatility. Yeah, Phil's 100% right in that. And I mean, the one thing about private equity is there's really no risk management process to it because once you get in, unless there's some type of a liquidity event, you're really not getting out. And with the Fed withdrawing liquidity at the rate that it's been withdrawing liquidity from the US economy, a lot of these private equity companies, they don't necessarily make money. So they have to continuously seek additional capital in order for their operations to continue. And if that capital, if, if that hose dries up, then those companies cease to exist or have to or have to sell themselves rather than having an IPO or some type of a liquidity event. And with the re-ratings that have taken place in public markets, it's going to be, I, I think it's prudent by Fidelity to cut the valuation of a lot yeah. of private equity. It's just a question of whether it's going to happen across the board with a number of large firms. And I mean, the scary part about a lot of private equity deals is that over the course of the last year, it really began to seem like private equity ran out of ideas. And most of that money was pouring into some type of crypto and or crypto hybrid. So with the carnage in cryptocurrencies, I think you're going to see a lot of private equity funds start to lick their wounds a little bit. And that means that they obviously have less funding to applied to new ideas, which is a little bit concerning in the current stage of the market. And, you know, look, if you do go into recession or if we are in a recession, you know, look at the quality of management right around in some of those private companies that are new, usually led by founders and, and you know, first generation owners of it. So, you know, have these people ever been through, you know, the recessions and the tough markets uh, to develop products? And, and the answer is mostly no, right? So when you look at their balance sheets, when you look at the economic times we could be going through, you want to stick with experienced management who have been through these cycles before. And uh, I just wouldn't have that exposure on my books at this juncture. I, I love that you just said that too, because I think now you're at the point in time where the the cream of the crop is separating itself in terms of management. At, at least what you're starting to see in the earnings reports from the most recent quarter you're seeing certain companies really stand above others and really, really start to execute at a high level in a difficult environment. And then you have other management teams that really just kind of, they they got a gift during COVID and they kind of fumbled the ball a little bit. And now they are having a really hard time recovering. So what's happening is it, you're beginning to see that degree of separation now between the good and the bad management yeah. team. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, that was very interesting. Thank you very much. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our new email address, which is question at twoquestiontuesday.com. And we will be back next week. Thanks. Thanks.